Welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, psychics, aliens, religion, new age stuff, awakening, ascension, star seeds, channeling, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, and other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelylea.com or at thelovelylea on Instagram so we can connect. Eric Adams is not your ordinary politician. Born and bred in Queens, New York, as a teenager, he suffered a brutal beating by police that changed the trajectory of his life forever. Believing he could change things from the inside, Eric served as an officer and a captain in the New York Transit and NYPD for 22 years. He then went on to become a Democratic state senator, and since 2013, serving as the first black Brooklyn Borough president. While holding office, he's created programs to help his community understand health and wellness, not only from a practical stance, but a holistic one. Implementing meditation in schools, Meatless Monday initiatives, and opening discussions to help his community look more introspectively about the ways to improve their mental state and wellness, a rather non-traditional route to political leadership. In addition to that, he's enacted a massive change by going completely plant-based and healed himself by reversing his diabetes entirely. He's become an advocate for plant-based eating and a pivotal voice of encouragement that you can, in fact, heal yourself. Please welcome Eric to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm so excited today to bring you guys Eric Adams, who is the borough Brooklyn president. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm excited because today we are talking about mindfulness and meditation in addition to um, reversing diabetes and your health and how you can heal yourself. So um, you're the first politician I've ever had on the show. Mm, I hear that often. Yeah. (laughs) This is not something that we would normally see or talk about um, amongst people who are in these types of positions. It's really refreshing to be able to talk to someone who has a type of body. Thank you. First, I want to ask you how you're doing over there. You're at ground zero with everything going on. How have you guys been dealing with that? Right. So true. And the uh, New York City has been defined as the epicenter of coronavirus on the globe, and Brooklyn is the center of that. Uh, you know, largest number of cases, mm-hmm. uh, and just really, it's a microcosm of what's happening uh, throughout the entire country, if not the globe. And you know, we just continue to be on the ground. Uh, we're on the front line, and you know, I believe we evolved to. Uh, our purpose in life and, you know, my entire evolution as, as a human being has really just prepared me for uh, a crisis like this and the crisis that we're going to see in the future. Yeah. So when I did some research about you, I found out that you were someone who grew up in Queens, New York. You're from ground zero, like you were, you're a born <laughs> and bred New Yorker. Um, and so you had an experience when you were very young um, with the police where you were assaulted and had some some very traumatic Uh, issues happen with you. And then instead of letting that experience define you from within, you became a police officer for 20 years and then now are in a position um, politically where you're able to uh, go into those communities and and offer them, you know, brilliance of some sort of some type of perspective or mindset. I think that's really, really cool. Um, 
Yes, and when you when I view my life um, at a combination of the rearview mirror and then what's in front of me, but most importantly, what's in my presence, I, I understand that some of the lessons and some of the experiences uh, that I went through was part of the overall journey. And you know, mom told me as a child, and I always will remember, if you're fortunate to, fortunate to live long enough, you're going to be unfortunate to experience pain and you need to figure out how to turn pain into purpose. And every painful moment became, <clears throat> became a purposeful moment. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really beautiful. I love that your mom was <laughs> that type of parent. Um, so first tell our listeners what mindful, mindfulness means to you and then what took you kind of on this spiritual journey and how do you discover this practice? I, I believe that we do not uh, pay in, uh, an, enough attention to um, this this entity that we've been around all our lives, but we really have been removed from it, and I call it our bodies. Our bodies um, is a series of uh, connections that it needs uh, different things to function. And sometimes we don't just don't understand that. We don't we don't really comprehend. There's a reason our heartbeat. There's a connection between our brain, um, our subatomic particles, and the power of them. And we have to really unlearn what we've learned. And sometimes tragedies place us on the pathway of really learning. And that's what happened to me. Uh, little did I know that although I was able to suck it up um, after being beat bad by police officers and then become a police officer and eventually a captain and a state senator and borough president, I still was experiencing PTSD. And, you know, I was every time I saw a police car, heard a siren, or saw a police movie, I was reliving the experience and I didn't realize how erosive that was in my, internally. I looked fine, maybe, maybe physically, but in reality, I was reliving trauma and I was taking years off my life. And so it wasn't until I was hit with the impact of type two diabetes uh, that I was at a desperate state of losing my vision and permanent nerve damage in my hands and feet. Uh, not being able to feel my thigh, um, having an ulcer, high cholesterol, told that I would be blind in a year, as well as maybe losing some fingers and toes. Wow. It was out of that darkness uh, that believing I was buried, uh, but instead I was planted and ready for a new awakening. All I had to do was walk into that new awakening. Wow. I, I love that. That's That's a really, really nice way to put that. Um, it's unusual for a lot of people, especially like now mindfulness is becoming something that's more mainstream. When did you start this practice? How, was it recently or like you talked about, we're going to get into your diabetes uh, later. Um, is this something that you've done most of your life that you've been aware of? Like what turned you on to this practice in the midst of that? I started meditating uh, right after policing. Uh, when I finished my law enforcement career, you, you know, 22 years of watching man do inhumane things to man uh, was just unbelievable. And I remember uh, when you're into something at a constant pace, you really don't take a moment to pause to see the destructive uh, impact of what you are watching and experiencing. And then once I retired, uh, there was a you know month or so of just not at that pace anymore of, of going to homicides, robberies and, and rapes. Uh, I had to start to think about them. And I was like, you know, wow, Eric, you know, you, you, you're pretty fucked up, man. You know, 
you need to do something. Yeah. And so I just started to look at uh, self-care and and started to tap into uh, meditation and the power of meditation. And I started digging deeper and deeper and said, wait a minute, this is not some hippie type stuff. Uh, this is real rooted in uh, years and years of science and evidence. I started looking at some scholarly papers and, and research and, and it was just never turning back. And it was amazing what I discovered. And once I started doing transcendental meditation, uh, it just took me to an, another level of consciousness. Beautiful. So when you started to experience that transformation for yourself, like, what did you see happen? Like, were you able to transmute the trauma that you had been through? Did you notice a difference in your health? What were the benefits of that? Well, you know, it's amazing, you know, as quantum physics states that our subatomic particles allow us to acknowledge something once we acknowledge the existence of it, then we start to see it. And so once I got into meditation, started digging deeper on um, exactly what we do uh, when we're under stress and when we're experiencing PTSD. And I started to see the power of our thoughts. Uh, I became conscious of how my thoughts were actually creating my reality. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in my meditative state or when I was meditation, meditating in the morning and the evening, I was creating my thoughts. I was creating my reality. And, you know, just about everything I wanted to actually materialize, uh, materialize, and it continues to do so until today. You know, it's almost the point that I smile sometimes because I'm conscious of, you know, this is what um, I wanted. This is what I I put into my existence and through my meditation. And I know people, it may seem uh, scary to folks, uh, because we have a tendency to give our power away. We want to give it to a religion. We want to give it to a, a statue. We want to give it to someone without realizing the power lies within us. And once I discovered that, um, it just has been amazing that, uh, you know, I don't know what I've asked for that has not materialized. Um, and that materialization is not always what I want, but what I need. And there's a difference between um, wanting something uh, and needing something. And I'm conscious about not asking for things that I just want, but things that I need. I'm not going to sit down and meditate. Hey, let me uh, hit lotto uh, <laughs> because that is something that I want. It's not what I need. Yeah. And it's about really finding need of how to live a very real purposeful driven life. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. So for people who are listening, maybe this is the first show that they've heard. What is the difference between mindfulness and meditation? Are they one and the same? Uh, and that's a good question. And, I, and I'm not the person that could give you the answer to that. Uh, you know, uh, um, my study of uh, meditation, and now you gave me an assignment that I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to do because I'm a reader and a studier. Uh, I'm going to see exactly uh, what's the difference. But if I had to give my uh, rudimentary interpretation, it's being present. Mm -hmm. It's just being present. Um, in the moment that you're in, we spend our lives in two different places. We spend our lives dreading what has happened to us mm -hmm. and uh, fearing what the future is holding for us, yeah. that we're never really in the present. It's amazing that we spend our lives in two places that we have no control over. I have no control over what happened. It happened and it's behind me and there's nothing I can do. And I have no control over what the future lies ahead of me. 
because life is is too fleeing to even think we do. But I have all the control over my presence. And when I think of mindfulness, I think of being present in the moment and controlling of your presence. I, I have no impact on what people do, but I have a lot of impact on how I respond to what people do. Mm-hmm. So you decided that you were going to start to in- integrate this into um, not only your own life, but into others. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about the mindfulness initiative that you had started in the schools in Brooklyn? Well, we, what I understand is that, uh, you know, you know, there's a song, there's an old uh, ballad that says, if you take a close look at my face, you'll see my smile is out of place in the tracks of my tears. Uh, I, I am a people watcher. I watch people and it's part of my, you know, my skill as an investigator, but mostly I always enjoy watching people and I see pain. People are hurting. They're going through the motion. They're wearing beautiful clothing and they are having nice homes and nice cars and nice careers. But in reality, if you take a close look at their face, you'll see their smiles are out of place and you can see the tracks of their tears. And a lot of that is among our children. Mm-hmm. Uh, our children are living through bullying, uncertainty, the crises of families breaking up. And I knew that if we were going to turn something something like that around, we have to start planting the right seeds. And those seeds start with an educator. Educator walks in the classroom and teach 30 children. And if that educator has pain and is not taking care of him or herself, then how are they going to also take care of the children? So I sent away a group of educators to learn meditation, mindfulness, and yoga so they can come back, teach their colleagues, and teach the the children. This is a powerful tool Mm -hmm. to give children at a young age so they can start self-care as part of their educational experience. Did you get a lot of resistance out of that? Because a lot of people see that uh, mindfulness and meditation, things like that are, are hippie stuff, like you had said earlier. <laughs> uh, yes, there was some uncertainty. Some people see it as a religious uh, philosophy. Some people see it in different ways. But we were able to do it in a manner that people could respect and embrace. And what I've learned, there's certain professions where uh, parents are willing to listen. You know, a, a, a doctor, an educator, a law enforcement person. And so we need to utilize those uh, pathways to people being open and receptive uh, mm-hmm. to really move about change. And so when the teacher uh, sent home a classroom assignment to a parent and also said that part of making this child be able to comprehend and deal with some of his anxieties is to teach him meditation, many parents were really and receptive to doing so. We underutilize our educational experience. We don't want our children only to be academically smart. They must be emotionally intelligent. And we don't do enough in our classrooms to teach emotional intelligence and self-care. Eric Preach, this is something that, I mean, even as a child, thinking about my upbringing and knowing that if I had access to something like this, how different things would have been. Um, obviously everything happens for a reason or whatever, but I think it's incredible to see what the children are getting access to now and how it's helping their emotional intelligence, their emotional response, their healing and giving them a childhood they don't have to recover from. And so that's a, like a really, it put it empowers them, which is really cool. Now you've that's been starting. You, that's a powerful statement that you just made 
there's a reason when you go to a psychiatrist, um, the first thing they say is, um, you know, what was your relationship with your mother and your father? Right. You know, because it's amazing to me as I look back over this, um, how many adults are recovering from their childhoods and some mm -hmm. of them never recover because we never really acknowledge uh, what our childhood did to us. We, we, we have broken uh, so many children and now we're trying to fix broken adults. And so mm -hmm. if we start in the classroom, in that uh, elementary, middle school, high school, mm -hmm. we won't have to put them through the recovery right. and they won't be painful. They won't be instilling pain on others. But you, you, you are right. We talk about recovering alcoholic. We're recovering children. Yeah, yeah. That I think that I, I love that. Um, I love that this is something that's coming more uh, prevalent. I have a friend who's an educator. She's a teacher, um, and she's started to do mindfulness within educators or post education for those teachers, so they can start teaching their kids. Um, we found even in the Midwest to have there's a lot of resistance to that because people are like, this is some religion thing, this is some bullshit or whatever. You know, <laughs> so they're getting into that. Um, and trying to not fight the resistance, but allow that, that empowerment with the children so that they have those tools, um, to proceed with their life in a way, the way they can have control over their emotions and, and anxieties and, and deal with so their day to day problems. So you right. Know, so we have to unlearn what we learn to learn. Uh, every day as I delve into, uh, this evolution, I am blown away at how many lies we live every day. Right. We are so much more uh, than uh, what we have taught that we were. And I think about the colonialization mm -hmm. of not only land, but of real cultures that had a connection with the oneness that we live in. Mm -hmm. And those cultures have been destroyed. They were accused of being pagan and we forced other beliefs and religions to control people. But you know, this is this is nothing new. What you and I are sharing right now, they may not have been a zooming among the Aztecs, but trust me, they were deep into these cats. Go back to India and look at some of the early writings yeah. that were destroyed, and people were you know actually killed because of just understanding the oneness. We are all connected, if we like it or not. There was a great experiment that was done in Geneva, Switzerland, where they took two pieces of matter and divided them and spread them seven miles apart and they impacted on one piece of matter and simultaneously the other piece was right. impacted. It just shows that I can't do harm to you without harming myself in the mm -hmm. process. We're part of this one ecosystem for life. Wow, yeah. This um, There's some books that I read called The Law of One and they talk about the oneness of um, how we're connected to everything, every living being, sentient being, uh, inanimate object or whatever, we're all made of the same matter. So. To hear that in a mainstream setting is so rare. Like I think what you're doing is is so cool because that's just something we don't see. I think we will start to see it more, yes. and especially right now that you um like you know schools are closed down and what's happening with COVID and everything. Um, you being a pinnacle person that people are looking at or looking to for um, some type of solace, some type of guidance of some sort. So I saw that online you've been doing uh, tele meditation, tele-exercise, yes. uh -huh. uh -huh. like, can you talk to me about that and your involvement and how you're trying to involve the community, even though we can't be together physically, you've been trying to bring people together uh, via the internet. I, I'm really, my goal through uh, COVID-19 is to really um, do a, a dating service 
Um, I want to reintroduce people to themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need to take ourselves out on a date. Uh, yeah. We need to really start learning who we are again in this fast paced life that we're living, mm -hmm. trying to find who we are in someone else, our spouse, our child, our job. Uh, it's really about a reconnecting with yourself and you have to really turn down the volume and meditation allows us to do that. Uh, the goal is to show people how to turn down the volume in a very small way so they can start to really uh, put their ears to their body so they can hear their soul. And we have not done that. And just it's just a reconnection. So everything from the meditation to the exercising, showing people how to make healthy food, all of this is about, we may be shut in, mm -hmm. uh, but we are not shut out. Yeah. We can still connect with ourselves. And this is a, this is a, a wonderful experience uh, that uh, we should not waste a crisis. We should use that crisis to come out not only better as a city, a country, and a globe, but also as better human beings. Yeah. Wow. I'm so glad that you're there doing that. I used to live in Brooklyn. So like I was there for a couple of years and I'm like, man, this is like, this is what we need to be doing. Like, I love it. Um, so we're going to switch gears here a little bit because you already started to get into kind of like exercise and things like that. So I would love for our listeners to hear your full journey and how you discovered your diabetes and what was your process in deciding that you were going to heal yourself. Mm. Mm. You know, I was in, uh, I was in D Dubai uh, away on a conference when I had uh, serious pains in my stomach and it wasn't moving. It, was not, it wasn't gas. It was, it was just sitting there like a knot. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was colon cancer because I lost a good friend to colon cancer. And you know, men, you have to drag us to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> And so when I uh, returned to the country, I went to my doctor and at the same time, uh, I was losing sight in my left eye and I was losing in my right. And the doctor actually, my ophthalmologist actually told me I had to turn in my driver's license because I was legally blind. Wow. And I was experiencing tingling in my hands and feet and I lost feeling in my right thigh. And so when I got to the doctor, he checked my colon and checked my stomach. And when I came from under uh, anesthesia, he stated that, Eric, your colon is fine. You have an ulcer, but your real problem is your diabetes. You had a coma level. And in fact, I'm surprised you're not in a coma right mm -hmm. now. And those symptoms you're experiencing from vision loss uh, to the numbness in your hands and feet is all the late stages. Wow. And I have, to, I have to put you on uh, insulin right away. Uh, and I have to give you other medications. And, you know, that he wanted to give me medication for my vision loss, for my diabetes, uh, four different medi medications, uh, my high blood pressure, my, all, I had the black package, you know, basically. And so uh, it just didn't resonate with me. You know, when he told me that, you know, you could potentially lose your sight, I, I just didn't, you know, it didn't speak to my soul. And I did something I like to say that's scientific. I went to Google and I Googled reversing diabetes. Yeah. Now what was key, key here, I did not put in the term that was used at the time and continued to be used, living with diabetes. Mm. I didn't put that into my Google search. I put into my Google search reversing diabetes. Yeah. And information came up. I was able to find several doctors, Dr. Gregor, Dr. Esselton, uh, Dr. Bonner, and others. And I called one of them and flew to Ohio to see him. And he told me, hey, change your diet. 
And I remember when he said that, I was like, you know, what's wrong with this crazy fool? Man, I'm losing my sight. He's telling me to stop eating fried food. But I went home and going back to, you know, uh, consciousness, you know, uh, became conscious of the conversation that I looked for the first time at the food that was in my pantry, in my fridge. It was all processed. It was all heavy with sugar, heavy, heavy with fat, heavy with uh, processed oil. And I just threw it all out and started that journey. And within three weeks, my sight came back. And within three months, my diabetes went in remission and my nerve damage went away. Wow. Uh, my cholesterol normalized. The ulcer that started me on the journey in the first place went away, no medicine. And I dropped uh, 35 pounds. You know, my body has never been in the shape that it is now. Mm -hmm. And I just feel great. And I just thank God that, you know, I was not buried. I was planted and I'm sharing the harvest from that planting uh, to whoever I can come in contact with. Wow. You, you made a huge choice and you decided to go vegan. Yes. Which yes. a lot of people like that is something that, I mean, I'm almost vegan. I, I call myself a pescadaritarian. <laughs> so I occasionally, and I don't eat uh, milk, dairy, eggs, things like that. So that, that's a massive change. So did you do that all at once? Like, did you just say, okay, I'm just going to go vegan, like cold turkey? And that's, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that because it's about finding your, your place. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, I, I consider myself to be a plant-based eater because vegans eat um, uh, chocolate bars and Mars and, and processed food. So Oreos are vegan. <laughs> Oreos, right, right. There you go. And so I'm a plant-based eater. I, I eat whole food, plant-based. But it's really about finding your place. And what I like to do with people, start them off with a meatless Monday so they can see that, okay, you didn't have meat on Monday, you woke up on Tuesday. So you got to first acknowledge that, you know, break free of the addictive behavior of our diet. And then I show them spices. I show them of different ways to cook, how foods are cooked. And then you can make your own choice. You can say, okay, instead of using a lot of salt, I'm going to use a lemon and uh, and uh, vinegar, or instead of having sugar, white sugar, I'm gonna do day sugar. So I let people build up the information because I know, um, I think there are two, three types of people. One, you have a type A personality like me, you know, I'm extremely disciplined when I make up my mind, I'm gonna do something, I'm all in. And that's what happened in changing my diet. Day one, I said, listen, I'm all in. But yeah. then you have people with good hearts, they want to do the right thing, but you know, like Al Pacino says in Godfather, every time they get out, they pull right back in. <laughs> and I don't want to beat them up. I want to give them the support. Now, type three, they say, listen, I'm going to die anyway. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm going to continue to eat. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But I want to turn type twos into the type ones that they can eventually say, hey, maybe I'm not vegan. Maybe I'm doing something uh, different, but you know what? I'm starting to live a healthy lifestyle. Colon cancer runs in my family, so now I'm making sure I have a high fiber diet. High blood pressure runs in my family, I'm making sure I'm doing X and X. Diabetes runs in my family, I'm making sure I'm cutting out the saturated fat. That's my goal, and eventually people will find their equilibrium, and that is what I want to do. I want to meet them where they are, take them where they ought to be, and I'm going to love them all the way through the journey. Now, you brought up something interesting. Um, I didn't even have an initial question about this, but we talk about these illnesses in uh, a hereditary sense. Do you think that it is hereditary or it's environmental that we learn these behaviors from our families 
and that's where these diseases come from and end up being passed down through. It's definitely not hereditary. It's not our DNA, it's our dinner. You know, my mom was diabetic. <laughs> I'm going to quote that. <laughs> not our DNA, it's our dinner. That's right. My mom was uh, diabetic for 15 years, seven years on insulin, 80 years old, went plant-based. Two months after going to plant-based, she was off of insulin. Uh, our neighbor next door, he died from diabetes. We didn't share the same DNA. We shared the same Kentucky Fried Chicken that we should go to on the corner. So the reason it is running in our families is because bad food run in our family. And that is what's killing us. Black folks don't have a, a, a gene mutation that we die from kidney failure. No, chitlins is killing us. Fried food is killing us, you know? And so it's definitely not DNA. Now, that's not to say all of us are born with the propensity to have certain genes, right. I mean, diseases. Right. But science, science uh, has stated that 5% of those genes we have no control over. Mm -hmm. 95% we turn on and off by lifestyle. If we turn on the right genes by our lifestyles, we will live a more healthier life. And you know what's even deep, uh, particularly for people of color, mm -hmm. when you really think about it, the food we eat is slave food. Mm -hmm. Our ancestors must be saying, what's wrong with those Negroes? <laughs> we were forced to eat this. <laughs> and they're sitting here giving it a soul food designation. So the real Willie Lynch letter is not this letter that was written down. It's the recipes. Mm -hmm. Our great, great, great aunt, um, you know, fried chicken and, and all that was done to make the food palatable, the jump mm -hmm. from the table. And mm -hmm. so we took the survival mode of our ancestors and turn it into our lifestyle. And I'm so tired of, you know, dashiki wearing pro-black Ungaba brothers and sisters running around here and eating the slave master's food. The first yeah. thing you gotta do is free your body. Don't talk yeah. about freedom of land, you know? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, so I thought that's, that's super interesting because I've always thought that like exactly what you said. I did my own research and said, you know, I don't think that this is a hereditary thing, nature versus nurture, you know? And it's the nurturing of like what we have. Not only that, but the, you know, they were talking about on the news how COVID is hitting black communities so much harder because of the underlying conditions that they already have due to the um, impoverished areas that they like just the lack of money, the the socioeconomic statuses of, of history, like that is affecting them now and today. So true. So true. Well said. Listen, I'm on this thing called SOS, Save Ourselves. Mm -hmm. No one is going to save us. You know, those those horns you hear, that's not the cavalry coming. Those are ambulance siren, uh, sirens taking your butt to the hospital mm -hmm. where you're going to die. If you have pre-existing conditions, 94% of the people die from COVID, that died from COVID had pre-existing conditions. Big terminology, but what does it mean? It means diabetes, heart disease, asthma. Uh, obesity, all of these things that are lifestyle. You know, I have a program at Bellevue Hospital, first of its kind in America, that's a lifestyle medicine clinic where we're reversing diseases, taking people off their medica med medication, changing lifestyle. Now, we know white folks also get uh, diabetes. Yes, true. But the numbers clearly in indicate the state is overwhelmingly in our community. And diabetes is the umbrella. Number one cause of blindness. Number one cause of non-limb amputation. One of the leading causes of kidney failure. One of the leading causes of heart disease. We could go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. 
You know, so Pete, this is not what we thought as children that, okay, auntie has a little sugar. No, this is real stuff that when you get that diabetes or pre-diabetes diagnosis, you are on your way to a pathway of destruction and you can turn it around mm -hmm. if you are just willing to say before you use lose your leg, you're going to give up that chicken leg. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's impressive that you got your mother to do, she's 80 years old and she switched her, like, so it's not too late. Like you, people get set in their ways and they're like, man, well, you know, I'm 50 and da, 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 like, it'll be fine. That even, even then, like that change can make a huge difference. So true, so true. And there's a biblical connection. Uh, we, we are meant to live to be fruitful and multiply, not toxic and die. Mm -hmm. uh, we celebrate, you know, okay, mom is, uh, 90 years old, and she's still in control of her mental uh, of faculties. That's yeah. nothing to celebrate. You know, uh, the Bible clearly shows the length of time that people are able to live. The Bible shows uh, how we should be able to um, uh, continue to procreate uh, late into into life. We just destroyed our bodies so much. Our bodies is uh, our bodies are much more than what we think they are. Right. And, one of the most unhealthy places you can go to are faith-based institutions. Mm -hmm. You know, we're losing um, bishops and, and, and pastors and reverends and, and rabbis. Uh, the number of faith-based leaders that have died from COVID is astonishing. Mm -hmm. And it's directly, it directly points to when we finish church on Sunday, we go down into the fellowship hall and we have all that toxic food mm -hmm. that is feeding the healthcare crises. Yeah. of our country yeah so you talked uh i read an article where you had spoke about how um food you have a spiritual connection to food now and that spiritual connection before you you never cooked anything and now you cook 90 something percent of your meals and you take um there was a there's a machine that you use to chop all your stuff up <laughs> and you put it in the fridge and you have it at work and you have it here and whatever you've made these huge lifestyle choices, but as a result of you becoming connected to food. So I'd love to hear about your perspective of that. And, 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 and it's such a, a beautiful connection, you know, because like I had garlic in the fridge the other day and onions in the fridge and it was there for a long period of time. And when I looked at it again, I saw this green um, flower mm -hmm. coming out of it and that my onion was starting to sprout, you know, that my food is alive. And so when I make my meal out of live food, and I think about the uh, person who's on a farm uh, making subpar wages of uh, picking that food, I think about the truck driver that, that drove it down, the grocery store clerk who put, placed it on the shelf, even though he may not have had enough money to buy the same items for himself. I'm giving thanks to all of them. As I'm chopping it up and I'm getting ready to put it in my body, I'm thanking them and I'm also embracing uh, what I am consuming and what I'm eating and understanding, you know, how blessed I am able to eat live food. Historically, I would finish my breakfast and feel guilty, mm -hmm. you know, but now when I'm eating that, that orange and I know, you know what, hey, I'm getting ready to give this body some vitamin C. I'm getting ready to chop up this kale and this cruciferous vegetables. I'm getting ready to get this broccoli. I know that I'm giving my fuel, my body the fuel it needs. And what blows my mind, I have friends who will beat you down if you put the wrong gas in their car. 
but they will put the wrong fuel in their body. We take more care about the oil and gas that we put in the metal than we do in the flesh and blood of our bodies. And some of my most intellectual friends that I have, they can run companies. They can come from some of the most prestigious schools. You want to see buffoonery? Stop telling them they can't eat that mess that's on their plate. <laughs> you, know? you know what? Please, man. <laughs> I love it. You know, so you started an initiative uh, in the school as well, as far as um, you said, Meatless Mondays. Yes. Um, and, and teaching people about that. So you are you are an advocate for plant-based diet and what it can do to your health. Now, do, do you have any um, anecdotes that you'd like to speak about, about the difference between eating a, a, a carnivore diet versus eating plant-based? Now, I, now I, I believe that we need to be humane because as we stated the last time, we're connected right. and, you know, um, we don't know, um, you know, what uh, a an animal is. We don't know the, the circle of life. If you look at those who believe in reincarnation, you come back as different animals. If you, if you believe in the oneness of life. And so I believe we need to be humane to animals, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't force my philosophy onto people. Right. Uh, my plant-based life is really rooted in health. Uh, but as I, as I have uh, dug into this deeper, I'm understanding that I can't only heal my mother. If I want to heal mother earth, I need to look at our overconsumption of meat. We're burning down the Amazon because we are trying to have chicken feed and cattle feed and grazing. So we're destroying our animals because of our addiction to and meat. air supply. We're killing our air supply. We're killing our planet. And so my goal is to show people how there's a connection between saving our planet and saving ourselves and saving our families. And it goes through the pathway of eating a healthy diet. It's a win-win. You know, if you are consuming a healthy diet, you are going to live a healthy lifestyle in so many different ways. And I see it every day. And so I try to show people that, and then hopefully they get to the place where they ought to be uh, on their own. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and it kind of like perfectly meshes together because you're talking about not only what it is that you put in your body, but what you put in your mind. And oh, you being just an advocate for um, people being conscious and aware of what that looks like for themselves in order to live the best life that they can and do the best for their body. Um, so if there was something that you would like to leave our audience, what's the most important message that you would have for them? I think what you just stated, uh, consumption. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes we think of consumption as something we put in our mouths. Um, but just as we feed our physical body with nutrients, uh, and not junk food, we must feed our spiritual anatomy with healthy nutritional food. And we consume things through our mouths. We consume smells. Mm -hmm. um, our visual consumption also should not be junk food. It should be nutritionally sound. What we hear uh, should be nutritionally sound and not hear sounds uh, that are degrading to us and that is junk food and lack any nutrition. And so just as we eat, we should not eat based on caloric consumption because oftentimes that is not dense with nutrients. We should not see, taste, smell, hear, or engage in anything that is just being around something. We should want 
high nutritional interactions and consumption. Our friends should be nutritionally dense and mm -hmm. what they bring to us, the love, the nurturing, the caring, the music we listen to should be empowering and remind us of how beautiful we are as individuals. The paintings we see, the visual that we see, the people in our aura, because anything can actually destroy and make your atmosphere toxic, not only what you consume by eating, but what you consume by all of our senses and then more than our five senses. We're so much more. I'm really encouraging your listeners uh, to reach out and find a real purpose and they will realize that there's so much more. And once you get there, you will not, ex you will not allow anything to come in your present that does not bring a level of peace, serenity, and allowed you to continue to find your purpose. Y'all, Eric just took y'all to church. <laughs> <laughs> we just went to church today. <laughs> I love it. I think I am, I am so encouraged right now because to know that this is information that is not just amongst those who are hippie or woo or whatever, because the show started off as it's called spiritual shit. So we're talking about things that are all <laughs> spiritual, um, but things that apply, we are spiritual beings and having yes. this human experience. And so I'm so encouraged to see that this is something that's like becoming mainstream. Thank you for what it is that you're doing, especially during this time where people are really concerned about their health and we're fine. I mean, you guys are seeing it and being hit the worst there. Um, so our hearts are with you and sending positive information. Before we go, can you tell everybody where they can find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook uh, at uh, BP uh, Eric Adams. And they can also uh, email, email me um, uh, at ask, uh, Eric um, uh, at BP at, at BrooklynBP.nyc.gov. Perfect. I'll make sure to link everything below. Thank you okay. so much, Eric, for being on the show thank today. You. And thank Real you pleasure. guys for listening to another episode of Spiritual Shit. We'll see you in the next one. Thank Bye. you. Interested in becoming a client for energy coaching? Find me at www.thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do or hit me up on IG at the lovely Leah for daily content and inspiration.